Saludos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente es el mejor cerveza. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito Sandiaguito, a.k.a. Bobby Ball, a.k.a. Bobby Barrels, as he's known in Savannah. Not with us today, but dead or alive, job or no job, as you know, we properly salute our boy. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks? When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. Ah, very pleasant good morning to you. Today is Tuesday, September 26, 2023. And you know what Tuesday is? It's Deuce's Wild Day, baby. 6 p.m. tonight, I will be on with Will the Thrill Clark, breaking down all sorts of MLB action, what's going on with the Giants, planning for the offseason, essentially looking into the future of what's going to happen there. Plus, we'll go over all the playoff races. And I don't know, I'm kind of feeling frisky tonight. I figure we'll rip open a pack of 87 tops as well. So, anyhow, 818 Tequila, proud sponsor of ours. Dean, Joe Boone needs a refill, buddy. Uh, but it is some of the best tasting tequila and I'm a tequila connoisseur that I've ever had. If you're feeling really, really sexy, go for the Ocho. It's actually shaped like a bottle. It's our top end shit. We are also sponsored by KT tape. That's right. Uh, go ahead and get yourself the skin prep wipes, the, Pro Oxygen Tape is the tape that I would recommend to get the blood flowing to certain areas. If you have any kind of inflammation, it definitely helps. The blister prevention for all of you endurance savages. And, of course, you got to keep the chafe safe nearby. Keep the package tight, clean, neat, and chafe-free. So, uh, today, our quote of the day... Our environment is a mirror of our attitude and expectation. So I got this one this morning. And you think about our environment and attitude, right? And that's something that I think we've all heard oftentimes. But the expectations element of this is really interesting. To me, because of course our attitude is forever creating our reality. And this could go back to Kirk Gibson and talking about image times vividness equals reality. The more vividly we can imagine something, the more likely it is to become our reality. Well, I really liked the expectation part of this because even within the IXV equals R, is what we expect because if we're sitting here and imagining mediocrity we're going to get mediocrity but if we're imagining excellence and the process 
that it takes for us to get there, well, fuck, yeah. That's what's going to allow us to understand what it takes to go through the different steps to get there. So, for example, if I'm a baseball player and my goal is to hit in 22 consecutive games, and I bring this up only because I talked to Kurt Gibson about this, and he signs by bat, IXV equals R. He then explains to me what it is. And I went off and rattled off 22 consecutive games of getting a hit. Well, that doesn't happen without seeing the ball out of the hand. So this is process-oriented, where when I'm imagining and using my imagination, vividly imagining, I literally am slowing the game down in my mind to see, say I'm facing Greg Maddox, a two-seam fastball come off the tip of his fingers and then run back in towards me where I think about having a nice short approach, taking the knob of the bat, firing it directly to the baseball, having the barrel follow, and shooting the gap in right center field. That's the process that it takes. But the expectations that we have are still created amongst us. So I encourage everyone to raise your expectations the same way we would raise our attitude. Because it is forever not only creating our reality, but it's also creating our environment. So the Daily Hustle translation of this morning's quote is actually very... well portrayed in one of my favorite parables of all time, which is the parable of the two villages. A man who was traveling came upon a a farmer working in his field and asked him what the people in the next village were like. The farmer asked, what were the people like in the last village you visited? The man responded, they were kind, friendly, generous, great people. You'll find the people in the next village are the same, said the farmer. Another man who was traveling to the same village came up to the same farmer somewhat later and asked him what the people in the next village were like. Again, the farmer asked, what were the people like in the last village you visited? The second man responded, they were rude, unfriendly, dishonest people. Quote, you'll find the people in the next village are the same. So what we expect is typically what we will get. Now, you could try to make the argument that, well, I went in there expecting to meet a bunch of assholes and I met great people. I don't know if you were. You could tell me that maybe you were being cautious with how those people were going to be and you were being a little bit, say, pessimistic, but then you were pleasantly surprised. People respond to typically how we act. As I learned when I went across the country, and it didn't matter if I was going into East Chicago or I 
happen to be going through Gary, Indiana, or I happen to be going through Salt Lake City. It doesn't matter. Wherever I was through that entire journey, South Bend, Indiana, the people responded to the energy that we brought. And so even when I did not go through these neighborhoods, or even though when I went through these neighborhoods that I typically would not go through, and I would run into the people in the street or going into the convenience store or whatever it is, ice cream parlor, I made sure to always put that smile on my face, even when other people weren't. And you'd be surprised at how quickly the tone and the mood of everything would change, even if it wasn't that way before. So really what I'm saying is that each and every single day, we have a choice to bring the attitude and expectations that we want. This is 100% within our control. The what the fuck fact of the day. A 73-year-old bottle of French Burgundy became the most expensive bottle of wine ever sold at an auction in 2018. The price? $558,000. The bottle of 1945 Romani Conti sold at its softy auction for more than 17 times its original estimate of $32,000. The riddle of the day. Spelled forward, I'm what we do every day. Spelled backwards, I'm what we should hate. What word am I? Give it to you one more time. Spelled forward, I'm what we do every day. Spelled backwards, I'm what we should hate. No, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Listen to her. Siri, stop talking. What the fuck? Oh, this is incredible. I seriously, I can't even talk to my computer anymore. And it's, it's listening to every, every word. Anyhow, hopefully moving on here as I'm trying to get the bubbles out there. Siri, stop listening to me. Let's see if that'll do it. Let me just X out of here. Oh, she went away. Okay. Um, onward and upward. The word? Live. Evil. How many got that? Yeah. All right. Three stories we can't ignore. Of course, we're a life optimization podcast. First and foremost here on No Filter Network, so we're going to get into, take a deep dive into the college football world today and go ahead and analyze these playoff races that are now into the last week of the regular season. I can't wait. This is my absolute favorite time of year. You have college football firing on all cylinders. You got the NFL getting in the thick of it. And the Major League Baseball pennant races 
coming down to all of a sudden soon here, it's obviously going to be playoffs. You have the NHL preseason rocking and rolling. This is the greatest, the greatest time of year when it comes to sports. Uh, but we have this article here. It's called, it's, it's like fighting narcissism, essentially. So it says narcissists can't stand these traits. Here's how to become immune to narcissist. Five signs that you're dating a narcissist. Oh, there's nothing worse. There really isn't. Uh, Romani, a psychologist and author of Should I Stay or Should I Go? Surviving a Relationship with a Narcissist. Says some qualities not only keep narcissists at bay, but they also help people heal from narcissistic relationships much faster. It's almost like a vaccine. She says, I'm still messed. I still, it still messed you up, but you won't get as sick. Though everyone... Everyone's vulnerable to narcissists to some degree. Mental health experts say anyone can boost their narcissism immune system. And here is how. Number one, don't give praise or validation easy. Indifference to gloating or bragging is a surefire way to turn off a narcissist. This is because narcissists are always on the hunt for attention and validation. Something that's known as narcissistic supply. Therefore, if a narcissist senses early on that someone doesn't easily give praise, they're more likely to move on and seek out someone who actually does. If from the beginning you are not giving them a lot of validation, you're not ooing and awing and fawning over them, they're probably going to move on to a new target pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, number two, make your boundaries clear and stand by them. Narcissists love a challenge, but if they sense someone's boundaries are too impervious to break down, they'll often back off. Narcissists will sometimes feel it's not worth the effort if you're clear with them about your boundaries. Huh. Uh, according to Sarkis, a few things turn off a narcissist more than the word no. Narcissists will work very hard at turning your no into a yes, someone that holds firm to their boundaries and continues to say no. That person is not someone the narcissist wants to engage with. The next one here, number three, know who you're dealing with. If a narcissist senses you aren't wise to the manipulative tricks, They'll be more likely to target you, says Chelsea Coley, a psychotherapist and author of If Only I'd Known How to Outsmart a Narcissist, Set Guilt-Free Boundaries, and Create Unshakable Self-Worth. Quote, the first thing you have to do is recognize who you're in the room with. What you don't know can and will harm you. Plus, you don't have to be a psychologist or expert to know when something's off. Uh, Darvulsa says trusting your gut is one way, is one of the best ways to build narcissistic immunity. Every single person I've known who's been a narcissist, who's been in a narcissistic relationship has said, I felt funky by the third or fourth date. Listen to your body. It's smarter than your brain. Have a feel.
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. And I know they're bringing this up in the sense of relationships. But I would take this a step further and just think about like your friendships. Because although I have a lot of friends that definitely have egos and we look, we all have an ego. It's just how we deal with that ego and how do we portray that ego? But ultimately it's about surrounding ourselves with people and things that are going to be beneficial to our lives and also people and things in which we could add value and benefit to their lives. Narcissists, any way you cut it, are pieces of shit. And there's a fine line between hanging out with people that are super cool, super fun, super confident, and hanging out with somebody that's a fucking narcissist. So typically, I would say after an extended period of time hanging out with that person, it's very clear which one that person is. So it's up to us to go ahead and decipher that because time is the most valuable resource that each and every one of us possess. I do not want to give a fucking narcissist an ounce of my time, not one. So that's why it's important for us to build this narcissistic immunity and at the same time, learn from it. So it says more ways to boost your narcissism immunity. Find meaning outside of the romantic relationship. People who have a purpose and strong social support network outside of the romantic relationship recover more easily from the narcissistic, narcissistic abuse than people who don't uh, work toward a secure attachment style. If you have a more avoidant or anxious approach to relationships, getting more Secure in how you connect to others through therapy will make you less vulnerable to narcissists. Recognize manipulation. People with a strong sense of truth who know when they're being lied to are less likely to be manipulated by a narcissist. And then see your relationship from a bird's eye view. Looking at your relationship as if you were a third-party observer can help you see patterns more objectively. As a result, recognize narcissism so bottom line don't be a narcissist can i even say that narcissist don't be a dick i think that's just one of the good general rules okay let's move on to huh one more story here the man gored to death by a bull at a spanish festival a man has died and his friend has been injured during a bull running festival in eastern Spain, authorities say. The man, 61, was gored in his side during the event in the town of Pobla de Farnos in the Valencia region on Saturday. He underwent emergency surgery but died on Sunday. His friend, 63, was attacked in both legs by the same bull and is in stable condition at a hospital. Deaths and injuries during bull running festivals in Spain are not uncommon. There are hundreds of such events in which bulls are released on the streets with people running ahead of them. 
across Spain every year. Animal rights groups have long complained of the dangers for the public as well as the animals, but the annual events remain popular. The bull running season provides a much needed boost to Valencia's economy. A 2019 study found that it created more than 3,000 jobs and brought in 300 million euros. Holy shit. With almost 10,000 events a year. Huh. Okay, look. The bottom line is this. If you mess with the bull, they're going to get the fucking horns. So, if this is what you want to do, go ahead. I'm not going to prevent it. That's Spain's culture. I, Yeah, it's a little fucked up. But, hot damn. I mean, I got to believe you're 61 years old. And you're running with the bulls. Like, is that sort of like playing Russian roulette? Just spin the little revolver thing. Maybe it fires off. Maybe it doesn't. Oh, man. No idea. Okay. Uh, A woman's body found inside the jaws of a 13-foot alligator. Uh, She's been identified. A 13-foot alligator has been killed after it was spotted in Florida with the remains of a woman in its jaws. Oh, jeez. The witness told local media that the alligator in a Largo canal clutching a lower torso in its mouth. Pinellas County Sheriff's Office said the animal was killed and confirmed the remains of 41-year-old Sabrina Peckham. And they were found in the waterway. An investigation will determine the circumstances behind the woman's death. Police said deputies were called at 1350 local time on Friday with a report of a body in a waterway. Jamarcus Bullard said... He was walking to a job interview when he spotted the alligator with what initially looked like a mannequin in his mouth. I noticed it had a body in his mouth like a lower torso. So once I saw that I ran straight to the fire department, it was my first time seeing the gator in real life. So it was pretty cool. But once I saw what it had, I was like, oh, that's a mannequin. It was pale and white. It just clamped onto it and swam backwards to the bottom of the canal. I just couldn't believe it was real. Yeah, neither can I. A fundraising page has been set up for Miss Peckham by her family, who said the woman was living in a homeless camp near the wooded area at the time of her death. Bruenna Davis, or Doris, who said she was the victim's daughter, wrote on Facebook, It is believed that she may have been walking to or from her campsite near the creek in the dark and the alligator attacked from the water. No one deserves to die like this. Authorities said the alligator was humanly killed and removed from the waterway before the police dive team recovered the remains of Miss Peckham. News footage shows a huge alligator sprawled beside a road surrounded by police and emergency vehicles. The medical examiner's office is yet to determine the cause of death. Yeah, let's wait on this one. Because how do we know that she potentially didn't pass before that? Now, I'm not saying 
that that's the case. But I would just like to hear a little bit more on the situation. Now, the alligator coming out, I'd be, dude, I ran from, it was Lakeland basically to Orlando. It was 50 miles in the dark, and I'd go by these rivers and little swamp areas, and you'd see the fucking eyes, man. Oh, scary, scary shit. And, you know, this woman's daughter's right. Like, no one does deserve to die like that. It's pretty brutal. Uh, Now, I'm going to bring this up because I know, say, for example, how... We are here in Lake Tahoe. Is the right thing to do to kill the alligator? I Do we know exactly what went down? Now, you got to get the remains, correct? So I guess that's how you could get the remains out of the alligator's stomach. But what if the woman had just died and I don't know, OD'd, had a heart attack, whatever. And she was there on the berm of the river, creek, swamp, whatever it is. And, you know, good old Munchie decided to go ahead and feed himself. Is that a terrible thing? I... I don't know. I just know that bears are breaking in places here. And usually, I mean, those guys, they're really well protected. Uh, If a shark attacks, I don't know what protocol is. Uh, I do know with mountain lions, like a mountain lion could attack. It's not like an automatic they're going to kill the mountain lion. So, anyhow, it's uh, nature at its finest i had no uh, intentions of getting into that story until i saw it all right college football a great week and last weekend ucla went down to utah notre dame got walked off by ohio state with 10 dudes on the field that was tough that was a very difficult one uh, to watch notre dame played great they had a chance to um, obviously beat ohio state and they end up uh going down on the last play of the game which was a, a run uh, up the middle, and they only had 10 guys on the field. Ohio State took advantage of the defense, ran it right exactly where there nobody uh, nobody was. Colorado got absolutely fucking obliterated by Oregon, and I don't think this shocked anybody. At some point, the Cinderella story was going to end. The fact that they won as 21-point underdogs at TCU was a, a small miracle, but they get blown out, and... You know, what makes it more interesting is obviously the words that Dion had for, say, other coaches. And Oregon's coach was popping off. And, you know, he's like, look, this is about wins. It's saying about clicks. And I, I would say that, look, Dion Sanders is a sage. He's not in this for the clicks. He's in this for the kids. And he's in it for his kids specifically. But then he's in it for all the other kids that he took over from Jackson State to Colorado. And 
I don't think that the rest of the college football world that, you know, gets them and they're going to use whatever motivation they can. When they play Colorado, they know that all eyes are going to be upon them, but Dion made a, a really good point. And he's like, look, you're not playing me. I already played. I had myself a pretty damn good career. I have one of those yellow jackets. So don't make this about you versus me. I've done it. I've done done it. Like, look, this is this is a whole new thing. And when you take a coach, and let's think about this if this wasn't Deion Sanders, that came from Jackson State to Colorado in his first year, had 50-plus guys go out, had 50-plus guys come in, what kind of expectations do you have for that group in his first year? Like, obviously, not very high. So just to think that they've been able to have the success that they've had so far, it's fucking incredible. So his message... To Oregon after the game, there's the article. It said, it's a Colorado head football coach, Deion Sanders, sat down at his post-game news conference on Saturday with his usual sunglasses, jewelry, and self-assurance, never once letting up on his trademark confidence despite what happened here on Saturday. His Buffaloes got demolished, 42-6. to In his first loss in charge of Colorado, he's now 3-1. and And it was never even close despite the national Cinderella story. His team... Had become after Colorado finished one and eleven. I mean, one and eleven. Think about that. One and eleven in two weeks. They had more wins than they did all of last year. One thing I can honestly and candidly, I can say honestly and candidly, you better get me right now. Sanders said, "This is the worst we're gonna be. You better get me right now." He called it a good old fashioned butt kicking. We are all accountable for this. Let's start with me. But he also said he was looking at the bigger picture. Quote, I know I have on shades, but I can see the future and it looks good. Sanders even brushed off comments made before the game by Oregon coach Dan Lanning, who made a stark contrast between his team of substance and the Hollywood flash of Sanders in Colorado. Quote, the Cinderella story is over, man. Lanning told his players before the game and showing on ABC, they're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference, right? There's a difference. This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on grass. I mean, technically, wasn't it played on fucking turf up in Oregon? So it says, what did Dion say about that? He acknowledged hearing about it. Yeah, I got messages. God bless him, though, man. He's a great coach. He did a great job. God bless him. Take their shots, they won't. They would take their shots, they won. I don't shoot, they won. So basically looking at this, you gotta figure that Dion's right. If you wanna get them, you get them now. But if you give him three, four, five years, and he's literally able to build up this program and the NIL money comes flowing in from the Colorado alumni 
look the fuck out. I've got to believe he would be the number one coach any high school kid in America would want to play for. The question is, how long is he going to stay at Colorado? If he stays there for an extensive period of time, it is on. And he is right. You better get him right now. Because I would tell you as a high school recruit, if that was my kid, or if I am the recruit myself, and I have these options to go to Colorado, to go to Oregon, to go to UCLA, to go to USC, I'm going where the fuck Dion is. Like, it's that big of a deal on what he's doing and how he's coaching, the approach he's taking. It's just awesome. So all the uh, love and support, by the way, going to Dion and... It's going to be uh, interesting to see how this whole thing plays out for the rest of this season because they have some more tough tasks coming ahead. So looking at the college football rankings, I love how CBS does this, 133. Let's go over the biggest movers. Number 54, Georgia Tech. Quarterback Haynes King is emerging as a real difference maker for Brent Key in his first full season at Georgia Tech, though the Yellow Jackets are only 2-2, two two, a 14-point road win at Wake Forest. Caught the attention of the voters and warranted a bump up into the top 60. Uh, West Virginia, number 49. Few coaches have flipped the preseason narrative about their job security more than Neil Brown, who was the most popular hot seat name coming into the year, but he has cooled all the talk with a 3-1 and one start. How about number 15, Washington State? Wow. They took down Oregon State. The Cougars are going to be an extremely difficult uh, for the teams at the top of the Pac-12. Maybe the focus should be not on whether Washington State can be stumbling block for Oregon or Washington, but, wet, but whether we should start talking Cam Ward and the Cougars seriously as a playoff dark horse themselves. Number 30, Fresno State. They just keep moving up. The college football world already had Fresno State on the radar thanks to two wins against power conference competition, but sometimes it takes style points to really boost the team's stock, the Bulldogs scored touchdowns on each of their first seven offensive drives and hit cruise control in a 53-10 to 10 win against Kent State. They're 4-0. Uh, Syracuse, for the second straight season, Dino Babbers has Syracuse off to a 4-0 start. Really? Huh. Number 35, Iowa. Though Penn State was favored to win on Saturday night in Happy Valley, the inability to score was bound to justify a reaction from the voters. So they're all the way down to number 35 now. They're down 10. Uh, Colorado is down 17. Wow, to 36. That's harsh. 36, down 17. The Buffalo season opening win against TCU provided a sensible landing spot following a 42-6 loss to Oregon. Now that the Pac-12 play is underway, Colorado's rating is sure to be moved around a good bit. The Buffs team had a winnable games, has winnable games coming up, but also more, more difficult tests like a visit from USC in Week Five. That's gonna be a tough one. I I don't see them pulling that out, but I think after that they got some games. You know, like they said here in CBS Sports, they could win. Number sixty-nine, Texas Tech. Went down 18 spots, South Alabama down 19, and Minnesota down 22. The top-ranked teams in the country now. You got Georgia, number one, Washington. Holy shit. 
Washington at number two. Oregon, Ohio State at number three. I mean, they were so close to freaking dropping out of the top ten. Michigan at number four. Florida State at number five. Texas at six. Oregon at seven. Penn State at eight. USC at nine. And Notre Dame, that's your first one-loss team sitting at number ten. You have Oklahoma at number 11. Utah 12, Duke 13, Alabama 14. That's the next one loss team. Washington State 15, LSU 16. Miami 17, North Carolina 18, Ole Miss 19, Oregon State 20. Missouri 21, Tennessee 22, Florida 23, Kentucky 24, Kansas 25. So UCLA is at 26. We'll stop there after the loss to Utah. Okay, uh, there's a whole thing here about the ranking of the top 25 quarterbacks. I was going to get into that, but yeah, I don't know. Let's jump into baseball. Uh, MLB playoff picture, clinching scenarios, and what's at stake on Tuesday as the Phillies Rangers, I... The postseason burst. Major League Baseball's regular season wraps up this week, and there's still a handful of spots to fill in the 2023 MLB playoff bracket. The Phillies and Rangers could clinch bursts in the 12-team postseason field on Tuesday. Really? And the Brewers' magic number to secure the NL Central title is down to one entering Tuesday night. Six teams have clinched playoff spots already. It's the Braves, the Dodgers, the Orioles, the Rays, the Twins, and the Brewers. You can find the full MLB playoff picture along with divisional wildcard standings. Here, the Phillies and Rangers appear likely to join the playoff field soon, and that will leave three American League teams. All right, we got the Bluebirds, the Astros, and the Mariners fighting for two playoff spots. And four, this is fucking wild, National League teams, the Diamondbacks, Cubs, Marlins, and Reds fighting for two playoff spots in the regular season's final days the 2023 mlb regular season wraps up on sunday and the postseason starts with the wild card series in exactly one week this is on october 3rd this is the second year of mlb's 12 team playoff format the top two division winners in both leagues get buys to the lds round while the other eight teams will square off in the best of three wild card series next weekend i love this shit I really do. And I think 12 is the right number. Because you can't go to half the fucking league. You just can't do it. I mean, 12, you got to be in the upper half of the league to make the playoffs. It just keeps 12 fan bases engaged. It's awesome. So trying to keep up with everything, we're here to help you with a handy guide of what's at stake on Tuesday night. Tuesday's key games. You got the Nationals at the Orioles, the Pirates at the Phillies, the Yankees at the Blue Jays, the Marlins at the Mets. The Cubs at the Braves, the Diamondbacks at the White Sox. All of these games have implications. The Rangers at the Angels and the Astros, the Mariners. Here's who can clinch today. The Brewers clinch the NL Central with a win or a Cubs loss. The Phillies can clinch a wildcard berth with a win or a Marlins loss. The Rangers can clinch a playoff berth with a win and a Mariners loss. So the nat- the magic numbers here. The Brewers magic number to clinch the NL Central is one. The Phillies magic number to clinch 
A playoff berth is one. The Rangers' magic number to clinch a playoff berth is two. The Orioles' magic number to clinch the AL East and home field advantage through the ALCS is three. So they're going to be fighting all the way to the end here. I mean, then again, you just win three games and it's good. But they definitely need a raised loss to expedite that process. The Braves' magic number to clinch home field advantage through the NLCS is three. The Rangers' magic number to clinch the AL West, which is, I'm sure, what they want, is going to be four. So with the new playoff format, MLB has done away with game 163 tiebreakers. I don't know. I don't know if I love that. I mean, if it's just one game, is there anything better than the one-game tiebreakers? So instead, they're going to use a head-to-head matchup record. I don't know if it's run differential or whatever else. All ties in the standings will be determined by tiebreaker rules. They have the tiebreaker rules right there, but yeah. Other than head-to-head, then it just starts going down the line. Taking a look at the scores from yesterday, it was a Yankees 6-4 over the Diamondbacks. The Rangers with a huge fucking win in Anaheim, 5-1. I did a video yesterday on Evan Carter, by the way, the 21-year-old from Elizabethton, Tennessee. Uh, What a stud. Guy's got four homers for the Rangers since he's been called up. He's got this killer youthful exuberance that has been a perfect shot in the arm for a team that needed it. Houston, 5-1 winners over Seattle last night. So it looks like Seattle may be on the outside looking in when this whole thing's said and done. The Giants and Logan Webb beat the Padres 2-1 at home last night. And then, I don't know why this says postponed, but it's AZ, the, the Diamondbacks at the White Sox. So were they going to play a fucking doubleheader, one at New York and then one in Chicago? That doesn't make any sense. The games today, I mentioned a few of them just a minute ago. But let's go to the overall wild card standings because this is where it gets interesting. The Mariners are a game and a half back. So they are on the outside looking in. The Blue Jays got to really fuck something up to not get in. Uh, they look at this point pretty comfortable. 7-3 in their last 10, they're playing really good baseball. Then the Astros, yeah, they're 86 and 71, they have a plus 119 run differential. And then by the way, as all of you guys follow this, the Yankees, 79 and 77. This is a record I keep talking about that nobody else is. The winning, consecutive winning seasons since 1992. And then in the National League, the Reds are still somewhat in it, but not really, dude. The Marlins are one game back of the Cubs. So this is very real. And they've won two in a row. So with that, the Marlins are at the New York Mets. Now, you know the Mets aren't going to lay down for anybody. But if you're the Marlins, that's a pretty good matchup. While the Cubs have to go to fucking Atlanta. That is 
not easy at all. Now, where do the Diamondbacks sit in all of this? They are, yeah, they're tied for the Cubs, so they're going to have a tough time trying to close this thing out as well. Like, that is not easy as they go to the White Sox. Huh. Then again, you go into Chicago and you're supposed to be the dog shit team. The White Sox are 60 and 96. But they're, I mean, look, if the Diamondbacks or Cubs lose tonight and the Marlins win, now they're all three fucking tight. Just like that. Milwaukee and St. Louis are going at Texas is at Anaheim. Anaheim's dog shit too. Uh, they shut Trout down for the season, by the way. So he is done. All right. Uh, something I want to get to here. Terry Francona is going to retire at the end of the year. And this is somebody that I had an opportunity to play for when he was the bench coach in Oakland. And then he obviously went to Boston where he had an incredibly successful managerial tenure there, winning two World Series championships, one in 03, the other one in, I believe it was 07. And then ended up going to Cleveland where he had even more success. But he's been well known as a player's manager, him and Dustin Pedroia used to play cards. I love this story. They used to play cards together every single day before the games. Like, just, here's little Petey. Oh, and his sliding shorts and, you know, running tickets with Francona. So, uh, the baseball world is going to miss him. This is a baseball lifer. This is a guy that, you know, I grew up in the game. Uh, his father was a legend. So, uh, tip of the cap to uh to tito it, it's you know definitely gonna be missed it says here he grew up in a baseball family his father tito was already in the majors when he was born in 1959 continued his career until 1970 this sport is all frank francona knew walking through the big league clubhouses and meeting professional players was second nature to him as a child all right um Let's finish off with the 10 most bonkers stats and then a little James Allen. So here's the 10 craziest stats of 2023. And this is number one. And I read this yesterday. I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. The Atlanta Braves slugging percentage, 501. Think about that. That's like a superstar number. Their entire team is slugging 501. It says hard to even know where to begin with the bonkers brave stats this season. Their offense is one of the best in history. But right here, it says let's just run through a handful of here before getting to 501. So look, Okunia is getting a 40-70. You got the Braves are the second team ever joining the 2019 Twins. To have five guys with 30-plus dingers and have an outside shot of becoming the first ever to have nine guys with 20-plus. Nine! With 299 home runs, the Braves lead the majors by 59 
over the Dodgers at 240. So it's not even fucking close. You could take Matt Olson's MLB leading 53 homers off the books and they'd still be in the lead. With the 299 home runs, the Braves are not only closing in on the 2019 twin single season record of 307, but it will become the first team in history with 300 homers and 100 steals. They're already at 124. I mean, shit, Acuna's got 70 himself. Oh, and Atlanta's 124 weighted runs created plus. It's just one point shy of the all-time single-season mark set by the 1927 Yankees. All right. It's one thing when we're talking about the 27 Yankees. But I'd have to go back and take a look at the 2019 Minnesota Twins. Because how and why their stats are comparable to this year's Braves team or the 1927 fucking Yankees is beyond me. Obviously, they had a fantastic year in Byron Buxton and crew, but holy shit, man. I would have never guessed that they were that good of an offense. So we'll take a look at that later. Uh, Number two, rookies with nine triples. Presumptive rookies of the year, Corbin Carroll and the D-backs and Gunnar Henderson, the Orioles each have nine three-baggers, which is a very rare feat. Carroll became the first ALNL rookie of the year with at least 20 homers and 50 steals. That's a big one right there. Royce Lewis, four grand slams. Well, not only that, the fact that he had the four grand slams in such a short period of time, that was an 18-game span. The previous smallest span of games in which a player hit four grand slams was 39. And that was Don Mattingly in 1987. The home team's winning at a measly 521 clip. Yeah, people aren't afraid to go on the road anymore. This is a winning percentage of home teams league-wide, okay? So they have a winning record. Yay, home teams. But if the winning percentage looks low to you, it should be. Or should. It would be the lowest mark in a full season since 1999. Huh. So in 1981, it was 521. 1917 was the lowest at 506. But yeah, 521, 1981, 1999, and 2023. Number five, the Padres are 0-12 in extra innings. That's a rough one. Holy shit. Uh, My only explanation of something like that, besides just some random luck, would be... It doesn't bode well for your bullpen because you're taxing your bullpen. And so the weaker bullpens are going to get exposed. And the other element of that is you have hitters up there trying to go bridge because all you got to do is score the guy from fucking second. So it's a reason why I think the giants have had success because typically they've had a deep bullpen through the course of the entire year until, well, they sort of got burnt out. But the other thing is you had a lot of decent contact hitters that put the ball in play and made something happen. So not the case uh, with the Padres. Number six, Trey Turner's 29 flawless stolen base attempts. Holy shit, really? He's 29 for 29. The Philly shortstop has stolen 29 bases this year without being caught. Very impressive. Number seven, Kyle Schwarber's hitting 197 and still making a big impact. He's hitting 197 with 40 homers. Holy shit, it's wild. Number eight, Clayton Kershaw's team leading 126 innings pitch. That's it. 
Are you kidding? He's going to lead the Dodgers in innings pitch with just 126. Shohei Otani, his injury plagued 10 war. Even though he's done for the season, you know we couldn't pen this piece without referencing Otani. This is his wins above replacement as calculated a baseball reference in only 135 games played. He could have set the all-time war record. Number 10 here, the return of the 2020 players, 17 and counting. As of this writing, there are 70 players with at least 20 homers and 20 steals. Good. And you have the Astros, Chaz McCormick is only one stolen base away. The Padres, Xavier Bogarts is a homer and two steals away. And the Rays, Josh Lowe and Brewers, Christian Yelich are both one homer away as well. So there's your 10 crazy stats for the 2023 season. Let's finish up with a little James Allen. And then everybody, I'd love to see you tonight on Deuces Wild. Visions and ideals is what we're going to get into. Uh, potentially on Deuces Wild too, but right now with James Allen as a man thinketh. The dreamers are the saviors of the world. The visible world is sustained by the invisible. So men through all their trials and sins and sordid vocations are nourished by the beautiful visions of their solitary dreamers. Humanity cannot forget its dreamers. It cannot let their ideals fade and die. It lives in them. It knows them as the realities which it shall one day see and know. Keep dreaming, folks. See you tonight, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Deuces Wild live with Will the fucking thrill. All right. Of all the shows, I was one back on with the Daily Hustle tomorrow. Eh, somewhere in that 8 to 9 o'clock hour. That's it.